Morning. Uh, last week, the uh, first Sunday of Lent, we began our journey towards Easter and the major event that shook, changed uh, our world as we know it. And so, uh, kicked off brilliantly last week, Mary, Mary looked at the incarnation. She looked at how Jesus descended uh, from his father's um, throne room, from a place of heaven and uh, through acts of humiliation and servanthood and uh, just descended to that place uh, from the manger to uh, humiliating death on the cross and just looked at that how totally different it is to how we would work, how we would operate. And so Losing My Religion is the series that we've started at Lent and it's the call to embrace once again our true spiritual heritage, that is that of following Jesus. And for many of us, and, and, I, and I believe it myself, that in Jesus' day, Layers of religion and the kind of human craft had separated um, ordinary men and women from being able to access uh, that which Jesus wanted to offer, which was namely the kingdom of heaven, which was enjoying God and knowing him and uh, having him walk in and through our lives. And we found that religion got in the way and Jesus tended to go head to head with those religious authorities. And I believe today is no different that in fact many of our uh, Christian experiences uh, over a number of years, uh, we encounter religion, we encounter obstacles, we encounter religious systems that somehow get in the way of being able to follow and pursue uh, Jesus. And being a Christian isn't necessarily the same thing as, as following Jesus. And so, you know, we've, we've kind of spent some time looking over a number of months now at this revolutionary, this subversive uh, that we see as Jesus himself. And as we build up this most extraordinary moment in history, this, this celebration of Easter, it's crucial that we understand what this Jesus lived for, what this Jesus died for, his message, his, his motives, the things that uh, generated out of his heart to touch people. We need to understand that as people. And so we're going to go on this journey, building our way up to Easter itself. So last week, I say we looked at the incarnation. This week, we're going right to the other end of the life of Jesus. We're going to look at the Great Commission. So we looked last week at the, the, the initial part of his life and what that was all about and what it meant. This week we're going to look at the Great Commission, the last words that he said uh, in the book of Matthew. And it's going to bookend this, this series looking at uh, losing my religion. So if you've got Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. All right, And we're going to look at these famous verses. Always good to bring a Bible if you can to church because uh, you just never know what the preacher is going to preach on. You don't know whether it's true or not. You need to check it out. Could preach from the Book of Mormon next week, and you just you don't know. So, there it is on the screen. Just a couple of verses before that. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very ends of the age. We're going to look at this verse, we're going to just go through it kind of verse by verse and just pick out some of the truths out of it. You know, the last words of Jesus recorded in the book of Matthew takes place on a mountain, and if you read the story of Matthew, you'll see that mountains uh, kind of take place. Uh, quite often in the life of Jesus, it's on a mountain that the temptations come. It's on the mountain that the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the greatest manifesto of what it means to be a Christian is given by Jesus. It's on a mountain that tr- transfiguration takes place. It's on the Mount of Olives where Jesus, you know, is battling 
to fulfill his purpose and his plans. And in this particular moment in time, it's on a mountain again. Mountains are so important. When we look at the Old Testament, we can think of characters and events, moments that took place on a mountain. We think back on Moses. Moses experienced God on a mountain. He received the Ten Commandments and and experienced God face to face. We think of Elijah. Elijah's on a mountain. And when he hears the still, small voice of God, you know, and so here again, This last teaching of Jesus taking place in the book of Matthew. Both Moses and Elijah had met with God on a mountain. They'd appeared to Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. We know how important this is. So now, his disciples are invited to go to a mountain. And all of that imagery in the Old Testament is coming to their mind about Moses and Elijah. All of that imagery is there when when Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. And this is all about encountering God. So when his disciples are invited to go to the mountain, it's not to encounter a friend or just that. It's not to encounter their rabbi or just their rabbi. They've come and they know because all this theology is behind them. They've come to encounter God. And that's why it says in here, they, they bowed down and they worshipped him. Only Yahweh could be worshipped. And so they hear, on this mountain, sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshipping him. At the beginning of the book of Matthew, we hear of Joseph. Joseph is the adopted father, really, of Jesus. And he was given this promise, Matthew 1, verse 23. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There was this prophetic promise that, this, that there will be God will walk with us and that we will see him in action and we will hear his voice and we will see him reaching out to people. This prophetic promise right at the very beginning of the book of Matthew and now we fast forward right to the end of the chapter, verse 20, chapter 28 and not only has the, the, the promise been fulfilled but we see it in flesh and blood. God has walked amongst us. He's with us. And when God spoke to Elijah, when God spoke to Moses, he encountered them, but he gave them a mission. And so here, we have the disciples who are meeting God on this mountain, and God's going to give them a mission. And so the last verses of this gospel, all kind of pack in three years of ministry, all three years of teaching, are kind of squashed into these last few verses as he's given them to his disciples, so that they can take them with them on the journey, that they can take them on the road. And so what we've got to do is we've got to kind of unpack these verses and get out of them what Jesus was putting into them. And that's what we're going to do. And so we'll start here. All authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's been given to me. Let me just test your knowledge a little bit. Can you remember anywhere else in the Matthew's Gospel where somebody promised to Jesus all authority on earth? Can anybody remember? Satan. Oh, you got it straight away. I tell you, a bit more, bit more intellectual than the nine o'clockers, I think, on that. <laughs> Satan. Yeah. Matthew 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan offers him all power, all prestige. He offers it to Jesus without having to pay a price. And Jesus knows that when it comes to authority, real, genuine authority, there has to come a price. A price has to be paid. There has to be the shedding of blood. Somewhere along the line, if true authority is going to flow on earth. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus' response is to worship and to serve. 
the living God. To worship and to serve. All authority, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what does authority mean? Authority means exousia. That's what it means in the Greek. Exousia. It means authority, jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, strength. To put it in kind of modern 21st century language. Exousia is the right to exercise power in the way that he wants to. That's what it means. It's the right to exercise power in the way that you want to. That's exousia. So Jesus says, all authority. I have the right to exercise power in the way that I want to. And I have that right in heaven and on earth. There is nowhere where I cannot exercise that right. But his disciples know. Because they've they've spent three years with Jesus. They've watched him. They've had breakfast with him. They've watched him get up. They've watched him interact with this world. They have seen him deliver people. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him in, in the face presented with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. They've seen him engage with the religious authorities. They've seen how this authority that Jesus has is used and lived. And it's so different to the way of the authority of the Roman political world. It is so different to the way... The religious authorities use their authority. It is so different, vastly different. Time and time again, Jesus would would bang his head up against the religious authorities. The Roman authority. Where does their authority come from? Where does Rome's authority come from? Anybody tell me? Caesar? Yes, Caesar. Yes, Caesar's authority. That's right. But Caesar's a five foot nobody, really. He's, he's about five foot. So how comes he dominates kind of, you know, half the world? What, 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 has, what has Caesar got behind him? The army. He's got a huge, whopping army that enables Caesar to exercise power in the way that he wants to. Roman authority comes at the end of a sword. It steamrollers people. You have a choice. You bow the knee to the emperor, you proclaim Caesar is Lord, or, or you get crucified. There's exousia in a religious way, in a political way. You've got the religious authorities that love to bend people's will, to get them to do what they wanted to do. Religious authority. You know, for me, I... I When I was lecturing at the Bible college, I used to lecture in early church history. And the saddest day for me in the history of the church was on AD 325 AD. When the emperor Constantine, well he wasn't emperor then, but Constantine fights the battle of Maluvian Bridge. And did so, he said, under a vision of the cross. And in doing so, changes the course of history. Because from that moment on, 325 AD, the church exchanges the exousia of Jesus with the exousia of the world. See, from that moment on, conversion took place because of might and power and control and armies that were there. It changed the way exousia, authority, was taken. Time and time again, Jesus both taught and demonstrated that his kind of authority comes 
Not by coercion, not by force, but through serving, through sacrifice, through the shedding of his own blood. Tony Campolo said this. He said, if the cross tells us anything, it tells that you cannot get authority without sacrifice. Some of us stomp around claiming that we, we, we got authority. Well, we flow in authority because we flow in the way that Jesus issued authority. Our authority is different to the way of the world. Our authority is different to religious ways of doing things. Religion loves to coerce, to force, to demand its right. And in doing so, it declares that I've got authority because I've bent somebody's will to do it. But Jesus, Jesus is totally different. Totally different. His authority didn't come at the end of a sword, but it, it comes in the form of a basin filled with water. And it comes in the form of a towel. And he stoops and he bends and he washes the disciples' feet. That's, that's the exousia of Jesus. That's the authority of Jesus. You know what's really nice is that I see that kind of exousia in here every day. Some of you guys I know, some of you I know more than others, but I, I see some of your exousia, your authority that you have. And you might not feel as though you have authority. You might feel as though you're tiny and small. You might feel as though you're insignificant. You might feel, who, me? I never pipe up. I never say anything. I never do anything. But you know what? From my point of view, when I'm looking at it, when I'm observing you, I see your exousia. See the authority you have. Because some of you in here, you put yourselves out. You give Time and energy, time that could be precious to you, but you give it up and you give it for the sake of others. You do things that will be seen as demeaning, things that people wouldn't touch, but you get in there. I see your exousia. You give yourself to situations, to people that maybe have been written off or judged or written off as, no, they're irredeemable. But you still carry on. You still offer mercy. You still offer hope. I see your exousia. Those of you who have forgone privilege, or prestige, and you've paid a personal price in order to maintain somebody else's dignity in life. I see your exousia, the authority, and it's the exousia of Jesus that's there. You know the wonderful thing about the exousia of Jesus compared to the exousia of the religious or the exousia of the political army is the exousia of Jesus is so much more potent. A thousand times, a million times more potent. To touch people's hearts, to change people. Mother Teresa, you've heard about Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, just a fabulous woman. Mother Teresa was in America and she was being interviewed by a journalist. I don't know whether the journalist was trying to trap her or not. But the journalist asked Mother Teresa, what do you think about the issue of abortion? What do you think about the issue of abortion? And Mother Teresa, very wise person, she knew about the division, especially in America, the pro-life and the pro-choice, and she knew all the... If she was going to utter a word right now, she would step into not just a religious minefield, but a political minefield, a moral minefield. And so she, she kind of sensed that she was being set up here for it. And so she turned and she said to the, um, the journalist, she answered, If you don't want your babies, give them to me. I'll take them. If you don't want your babies... Give them to me. I'll take them. That's exousia. That's exousia. That's the authority that Jesus walked in, lived in, 
in there. Uh, Veronica was here, a missionary that you know, you know, we love and we support, we pray for. Veronica was here and she was meeting our emerging leaders the other night. And uh, um, she was telling us that how she went and, and she was in the middle of this rural situation. Um, extreme poverty. Uh, not much to eat at all. And, and she was there and that, uh, she had to help the villagers to do their work. She had to graft with them, get alongside them, be one of them, serve them before she could ever think of speaking to them about Jesus. She had to, that's authority, that's exousia. That's what it's about. We read in the Bible when uh, his disciples, right again towards the end of their life, and you think maybe, why didn't the disciples see this? They hadn't, the penny hadn't even twigged for some of them. And they're having this argument about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit at the right hand of, of Jesus. And if you've got your Bibles, let's, let's keep in Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, this big row was taking place amongst the disciples. Chapter 20, verse 25, and it says this, But Jesus called unto himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the reason why we go on this journey to pursue Jesus, the reason why we we understand that actually sometimes Christianity is very different to what Jesus had in his mind and his intention, is because when we see the use of authority... Here, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go and live out that kind of authority amongst this world and you will see the difference that it makes. You will see that the counterculture revolution that this kingdom is all about, you'll see it. 1700 years since the day that Constantine converted, since the day that the empire became a religious empire and not about a kingdom. 1,700 years of authority that's not been following the Jesus authority, but the authority of the religious, the authority of the political, and maybe a combination of the two, actually has done a huge amount of damage to the body of Jesus, the church. Because quite often the church chooses to operate under the wrong type of authority and demonstrate little more than arrogance Pride, control, judgmentalism. You know, the challenge for us in the 21st century world is that a lot of people have given up hope of ever finding Jesus in the church. There's the challenge for us. A lot of people have given up hope of ever finding Jesus in the church. There's a statistic that's come out, just recently done some research in the United States. It's a staggering statistic. 88% of evangelical children leave the church shortly after they finish school. 88% of evangelical children leave the church after they leave school. You see, that it doesn't tally up for me. Because I read in the Gospels and I read in the stories that wherever Jesus went, there's a crowd of people. Wherever Jesus went, he seemed to draw people to them. He 
There was something infectious about his love. There's something infectious about the grace of God. There's something infectious about truth and authenticity. And it drew people to him. He went to them, but it drew people to him. And so there's there's something missing somewhere then when it comes to that. Jesus, when he was questioned by Pilate about the source of his authority, said this. John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. The the word world is the word cosmos. The word cosmos is where we get this whole thing about our system. There's a system at work. And Jesus says, I want to work against the system. I'm a revolutionary. I'm a subversive. The system says power comes at the point of a sword. Power is about force and coercion. Authority is about being able to bend somebody's will against their own will. That's what it means. But no, I'm this subversive. I'm this revolutionary who says that love is more potent than any sword, any weapon. That's Jesus. The exousia of Jesus is marked by these random acts of kindness, of grace, of generosity. It's an upside down authority that brings a voice to the voiceless. You know, I I see so much in the church where the church wants a bigger voice. Why does it want a bigger voice? Because it wants to keep its place? Or why don't we do what Jesus did? And let's give a voice to those who've got none. Why don't you go and stand with them, walk with them, bring about healing in their lives? Why don't we do that? Because that's the kind of exousia that Jesus had. So Jesus said, that's, that's it. So you can see he's, he's kind of squeezed a lot in that one sentence, all authority in heaven and on earth. Let's, let's, let's follow through. Let's keep going. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, which means everywhere. Therefore, go, he says. Therefore, go. The Greek, again, of that word, therefore, go, means having gone. So, Jesus is assuming something. Jesus is assuming that actually, his disciples are already gone. They've already gone. They're already part of the world. They're already interacting with the world. In other words, put it in a 21st century way, they have a life already. How many of you have a life? Just two of you have a life Well, there we go. Excellent. You already have a life, every single one of you. So having gone, Jesus says, having gone, having already, you've got a life. You're in and out, you're flowing with this world. You're you're not static people. You don't live on a pillar 30 meters up like Simon the Stylite did for about 30 years. That's not our existence. Some of you may love to live on a pillar up for 30 years and just have your food delivered to you. You don't have to worry about anything. But that's not the way we're designed. You have a life. You've got friends. You've got work colleagues. You've got people that you interact with and that you flow with. You are having already gone. You're in this world. You've got families who engage with, people at work, colleagues. In your going, it says, make disciples of all nations. Live in such a way that your life inspires people to ask a very simple question. What's different about you? What's different about you? We walk in that exousia of Jesus, in the authority of Jesus, the exousia that is different. The exousia posture is that of humility, as we heard last week about the incarnation. The exousia posture is humility. We're all missionaries, every single one of us. 
Look around you. Look around you. Go and take a good look at the person sat next to you, around you. You may not think, but actually, you're a missionary. You're a missionary. I mentioned Veronica coming the other week to the Emerging Leaders. She said a load of things that we could have kind of spent all night looking at. But she, she, she did this one statement, and it really struck home to me. She said this. She said, a missional life is about the choices you make each day. A missional life is about the choices you make each day. You see, I was expecting you know, her response to be, well, a missionary, you have to go through Bible college, and then you have to go on training, then you have to learn the language, and then you've got to do this, and then you've got to do that. And then I was expecting all these different things to come out of Veronica's mouth with regard to how you become a missionary. But no, she says this, a missionary is simple. A missionary's life is very simple. It's about the choices that you make every day. So you have a choice to smile at someone, don't you? When you're getting your paper, when you're, you're going out, when you, you have a choice to smile at somebody. You have a choice to speak to the lady at the checkout. Someone maybe you just brush past or walk past or you're on your way, but you have that choice to stop at that moment in time and speak to her. You have a choice to give up your seat on the bus. You have a choice to ask how someone is doing. As Bill Hybels would say, you have a choice to just literally just walk across the room and say, hello, how are you doing? The missionary life starts with the simple everyday choices that we make of what to say and what not to say, what to give and not to give. It's not complex. Jesus says, having gone, moving amongst people, Take my authority, take my exousia, and in the choices that you make, and in the simple choices that you make every day, go and be a missionary. Show them how much I love them. I was told that sharing my faith was about winning the argument. It was about having all that theological expertise. It was about having the philosophical constructs in my mind that's able to dismantle the philosophical constructs of this system. But it's not. It's not. It's about the simple choices that you make. Being a follower of Jesus is a life that's all about trusting him. It's about going on a journey with him. See, none of us have got it nailed, have we? There's nobody in this room that has it nailed down in terms of what life is about, about what spirituality is about, about what faith is about. Nobody in this room has it nailed down. And if you come up to me at the end and say, I have, Jonathan. Then I would have to question your sanity. (laughs) When I meet people who have got it all nailed down, all buttoned up, God's in this nice box. I worry. Because for me... Being a follower of Jesus is exactly that. It's a journey. It's about being a pilgrim. It's about trusting Jesus one step at a time and believing that God will lead us one step at a time. Trust and obey for there's no other way. Simple. The kingdom is simple. Trust. 
And so I can talk to people on the streets and I don't have to have all the answers. And in fact, if you think you've got to win the argument, you haven't. I don't have to have all the answers. All I've got to say is, you know what? Being a follower of Jesus is exactly that. I trust him. I believe he's got the keys for me and my life and the way we ought to live. And I'm trusting him. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. See, the word nation in there is the word ethnos. The word ethnos means a tribe, a company, a nation. But more than that, this this is what I've got to try and get across. It's a tribe, it's a company, it's a nation. But it carries with it, the word ethnos carries with it the idea of a group of people, a tribe, a nation, that are different from you. That's what it carries, the word ethnos. It's, it's a group of people who are not like you. So, let's just rewind a little bit. Jesus is assuming then, that having gone, and you're involved in this world, he's assuming that you are mixing with people who are different than you. He's assuming that you, having gone and interacted with this world, are meeting people who are not like you. You see, the Pharisees, they believed that the Messiah was going to come and was going to save them. He was going to come and save their people. He was going to come and save Israel. You know what? The Pharisees had a word for the ethnos. They had a word for the unclean, the heathen, the nations. You know what they loved to call the ethnos? You know what was their word? Dogs. That's what they called them. Dogs. (coughs) All those who are different to them called dogs. Wow. Can you see why Jesus went head to head against that kind of spirit? Can you see? He went head to head with that. See, Jesus is assuming that his followers were going to be different because his exousia is different. He's assuming That actually we will go and we will surround ourselves and be surrounded by people who are not like us. If you only rub shoulders with Christians and only sit down at a table with those who share your worldview, then we will not complete our mission and we'll fail. See, Jesus has got this reputation. This reputation was is that wherever he went, people were drawn to him. And the religious people didn't like what they saw about Jesus because wherever he went, there was a kind of a group of people who were disreputable. disreputable. They were the dogs of society. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors. He, he hung out and associated himself with prostitutes, the poor, 
and the sick, all of whom were seen as judged, as dogs, as people who were out there. And in fact, he upset the religious even more because he often sat around their tables or were invited to sit around theirs. And we've, we've all done this before. We've done it here a number of times. The power of a table. The table said more than just what you're eating. It's, it's about your values. It's about your world. But it says this in Luke 15. Now the, Pharise- now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Muttered. We don't mutter here, do we? We don't mutter at Junction 10. Nah, there's no muttering that goes on here. But I love this because it seems to be we've got a gauge, we've got a barometer of, of what is spiritually healthy or not, of, of whether we are walking in exousia of Jesus or not. And this barometer seems to be, is do we have a load of people around us that the religious would mutter at us, but Jesus would be really pleased. Is there an attraction to your life by others that they can see this this grace, they can see this love, they can see this kindness, they can see this mercy that flows out of the life of Jesus, but they see it in you, and so they come. On April the 26th here at church, morning and night, we're going to share about the next stage of our journey. And I'm going to tell you, as, as, as alongside existing pathways, we're going to forge some new ones. And these new pathways are going to put us in places where we're surrounded by people who are not like us. Because that's what church is all about. It's about being a missional people, engaging with our world. But what about you individually? What about you as missionaries? Maybe you need to reorientate your life so that you've got new pathways. So that you interact with people who don't know Jesus. So that you, when you're interacting with the people, actually are doing it now with a mindset of Jesus' authority. And take the posture of a humble servant and love people. And do it in a way that provokes the question, what is different about you? You've got something real. Let's just quickly finish off. The verse finishes that this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love baptism. Baptism for me is so exciting. Because baptism is this, is this, this public declaration of a, of a new association in their life. I love it. Uh, we got a, a young guy that uh, asked me a question the other day. And he said, you know, I, I want to be baptized. He said, but I'm afraid of the public side of stuff. And I, and I know what he's going through. I know what that's like. Um, because, you know, we, none of us really like the, the public element to it, doing something in public. He said, could I, could I do it in private? And I just looked at him and said, you know what? I wish I could accommodate you on that. But actually, probably the most important thing about baptism is that it's public. That people see you're making a new declaration of a new association. But I love it. But Jesus says more than this. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And as you know, through the Old Testament and the New, when it's got that little phrase, in the name of, it's, it's just not about putting a label on it. It's about 
It carries more than that. It's about being baptized in the character of, in the nature of, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we look at it, it's talking about the Trinity. And when we look at the Trinity and we break the Trinity down, the Trinity is this loving relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. It's about this loving community of Father, Son, and Spirit. And so when Jesus says, baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, he's actually saying to them, I want you to go into all the world, the different ethnos, people who are not like you, and I want you to baptize them into a community that looks like the community in heaven, which is love. And loving relationship. That's what he says. Because as my good friend Tim Fellow says on the back row. Unity. Expressed in love. Is the most powerful missional tool that we have. The reason why people leave. 88% of evangelical Christians leaves possibly because what they have been baptized into is an institution or a religious system. But Jesus is saying, no, I want you to baptize people, immerse people into a loving community, just like the Trinity, that love one another, serve one another, subordinate themselves to each other. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. The simple thing about this is this. We're teaching people. Every single one of you in here is teaching your friends, your neighbors, your work colleagues about Jesus. Every single one of you. By what you say and what you do. By what you engage in. By what you don't. Every single one of you is teaching about Jesus. The question you have to ask, though, is what are you teaching? And it all comes back to this authority. Is it the authority of Jesus? Is it the exousia of Jesus, which is different to the world system, which is different to the religious system? Or is it this subversive revolutionary teaching that says love is the foundation that grace and mercy flows that it's about the humble posture of a servant because I don't know about you but I want to lose more and more of our religion I do and I want us to rediscover this untamed outrageously graceful lion of Judah we had a prophetic word at the 9 o'clock service which talked about us going back and having a revelation again of the source of our salvation. Well, this is it. This is what this series of Lent is all about. This is about, it's about being able to peel away the layers and discover who this Jesus is. This is him. Of which all authority, there's not one place where his authority does not rule. Let's pray. The worship team could come up. That'd be great. Thank you.
Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, for your love. We thank you that this isn't a religion or an institution, but this is about a relationship of trust and obedience to you, our Savior. And we long to be covered in that dust of the rabbi. We long to be covered in the marks of what it means to be a true follower of yours. And Holy Spirit, we can't do that without you. And so Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and reveal to us, Jesus. Open our eyes. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. Peel away the layers of religion, the institution, Christian heritage, some of which is great, some of which we carry on into our future, but some of which, Lord, we need to leave behind. And Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us power to walk in the authority that you have given, to adopt the posture of a servant, and to live out this life of love in our words and in our deeds. I pray for every single one of us that we would be potent that people would be able to ask the question because they see you in us. And I pray tomorrow, and even today as we leave this place, that Holy Spirit, you would saturate our mind and our heart, that when it comes down to this, that the simple choices that we make to smile, to give, to talk, you would give us the power to do that. To live that missional life. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.